Hi everyone, welcome back to This Expat Life. My name is Amanda Maxime and I will be your coach and host for today. This Expat Life is your podcast if you are living abroad or have moved back home and you want to accelerate your personal growth. It's my mission to make space for all facets of life abroad and I always do that with interviews with other experts and expats, practical tips and also personal stories. And today from rainy Rio, and I really hope you cannot hear the drops on the roof, I'm going to share two personal stories from the time that I lived in London and Brazil, my first time in Brazil. In hindsight, I would have loved to have a coach in those moments because I was really struggling with a few things and I'm sure a coach could have helped me with that. I'm also going to share why I believe that every expat should get a coach at some point, although I am a life coach for expats, so basically I'm telling you why to hire me. <laughs> But I'm really going to share why I think it's beneficial for you. But let's first start with the stories. Let me first take you back to London. I think it was late 2014, around November, December. And I remember it was a Sunday evening and uh, someone, a friend of mine texted me and he asked me, how are you doing? And I was just laying on bed and I couldn't move anymore. I mean, physically, I guess I could, but emotionally, I was just empty, actually. I didn't feel I had the energy to get up, to do anything, but apparently I found the energy to text him back and I said, I'm not good. I really don't know what to do anymore. My friend was a true friend and only texted back, let me go get you. And he got an Uber all the way from West London to East London just to pick me up and make sure I was okay. So what had happened? I came to London for a master's degree in 2012. Gosh, it feels like a lifetime ago, more than a decade. Um, I studied Latin American politics at UCL, had a great time, then rolled into my very first job. Uh, I was a conference producer for a company and it was a fun job, just a little bit below my level, if I can say it like that. I was traveling the world and it was a lot of fun, but I didn't really use all my intellectual capacities. <laughs> um, so I wanted to find another job and actually I had something in mind and I wanted to become a political risk analyst covering Latin America. Those jobs are like a natural step for people who studied something related to international politics and eventually I got that job. I was so happy I got the job and a warning from a fellow classmate of mine, I just tossed it aside. She had done an internship there and they offered her the job actually and she declined it. And she told me, yeah, that company isn't great and uh, it's just not a match. And I thought, if I can be honest, like, oh, maybe it's just her, you know, we're very different types. So maybe it will be a match for me. So I completely ignored her warning and I went to work there. What I quickly found out actually was that the environment there was toxic. My first encounter with a fellow Dutch colleague, I shook her hand as another colleague who was uh, showing me around introduced me and said, this is Amanda, she's also from the Netherlands. The Dutch colleague looked at me and then rolled her eyes. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. In hindsight, I should have known better from that moment. So I started it there. The first couple of weeks were fine and, and you know, I was having a good time. But I started to notice a few things there that made for this toxic environment. I mean, I say toxic because I really felt it that way, but that is just my opinion, right? 
So what often happened is that they had a group chat that I wasn't part of and they would all get up for lunch and then at least one person would look around and say, Amanda, are you coming with us? But some wouldn't at all. Um, there was also a group of interns that was delivering things for us every day and they weren't paid, I think, or very little. Um, and as an intern, you go there to learn, but the way those interns were treated, it was just so bad there was one colleague who sent an email to them after they had sent their work and just said this is crap redo it and i thought oh my god this is not how you treat people this was how they treated people there and at that time i wasn't as confident as i am now <laughs> i was pretty insecure i definitely felt like an imposter i was working in an english environment almost everyone was from the uk and there were a few international people but everyone was just so bright and so smart i really felt like okay i'm the outsider i'm an imposter here now this part definitely is on me this has nothing to do with the toxic environment but those two things combined weren't good and i got stuck in a vicious cycle so every Tuesday, I remember this so clearly, I had my weekly deadline. So this company sent out weekly analysis of developments around the world, and every region had a certain day that the report would come out. And mine was on Tuesday. But because so many of the developments in Latin America are like long-term developments, um, it's not like the Middle East where there is a new situation going on every day or there are bomb threats or other kind of threats that you can send out to companies. My region didn't really have that. I was always struggling with finding new topics to write about. And it was all internet research-based, so I, there wasn't any travel or something. And I had a few contacts in the region and they could provide me with some extra like nice quotes and stuff like that but not really any scoops or anything really interesting to talk about for that specific day or week. So often I would go back to the same topics and find new angles to write about. Now, this was all fine at first, but at some point, while I was feeling so insecure and I felt this toxic environment around me, I increased the pressure on myself. So every Tuesday afternoon, I felt that deadline looming and it became bigger and bigger. And I was really fearing it because I was always so late with finishing my work. And there was a certain way of working at that company that other people would check the content and then others would also check spelling and writing, etc. So if I was really late with meeting my deadlines, it meant that everyone was really late because we were all waiting for each other because we were always helping each other out. So not only was I putting pressure on myself, I was also carrying around guilt. And that weekly thing became bigger and bigger. And I became more fearful and more fearful. To an degree that actually already on Sunday morning, I would wake up feeling enormously stressed. And I would go to my favorite cafe just to work there. Yes, on a Sunday morning, even though I didn't get paid for it. But I felt so scared I wasn't going to meet my deadline on Tuesday morning that I wanted to catch up and already do some work. But you know how it goes with stress. It takes over your body. So week after week of going through this thing, it had taken its toll on my body. So I wasn't sleeping properly anymore. Whenever I'm stressed, my sleep is the first thing that gets affected. Um, I felt my jaws clenching. I had headaches all the time. Typical stress symptoms. And the most important one, I was always so freaking tired. I would get out of work. I would arrive home 
at six or seven after a bike ride. Every day I was cycling on Tower Bridge to my apartment in Bethnal Green. And when I would get there, I wouldn't be able to get up anymore. I would lay down on the couch and I didn't even have the energy to cook anymore. This was how tired I was. And if I had no energy to cook, I definitely had no energy to meet friends. And I remember one friend in London telling me, Amanda, this isn't good. You're young. You're supposed to have energy. You're supposed to want to see your friends. Even during the week, you're supposed to go out, not party, but just like be social. And I knew she was right, but I couldn't break that vicious cycle. And of course, when you meet very few people and on the weekends you're working, you're not really refilling your cup. You're not recharging. So I was draining my energy more and more, and it was definitely unsustainable. And it got to that point that my friend texted me and came to get me. And I told him, I can't do this anymore. And he was really kind, offered me good advice and told me, go talk to your boss tomorrow and just explain what you're going through. So I did. And my manager was actually pretty understanding. And um, yeah, he was really, he was okay about it. I wouldn't say kind, <laughs> but he was definitely okay about it. And that made me feel better. Like I wasn't taking the entire load anymore. I could share it with someone and I felt lighter about work. But a couple of weeks later, you know, basically I was in the same position again. And I remember I was back home in the Netherlands for a short break and I was having drinks with friends. And all I could think was, please let them not ask me about my job because I really don't want to talk about it. But of course they asked me how my job was going because I was a, at that point seven or eight months in. And I just started crying. <laughs> all that pain, all that pressure was really coming out. And I just felt so stuck and like I wasn't capable to change anything. Then my best friend looks at me and she said, you do know that you can quit, right? And I said, no, I can't quit because this is my dream job. And she looked at me and she said, if you feel this way, is this really your dream job? And I realized, damn, she's right. In my head, it was my dream job because it was a perfect position for someone who just finished that master's degree and there aren't so many positions for this available and I was just so lucky, I thought, to get it. So in my head, it was his dream job, but I had completely shut my eyes for reality because she was right. If I felt that way, this clearly, clearly wasn't my dream job. So she opened my eyes and within... Two days, I believe, I do this always very fast, I decided to quit my job and also to move back to the Netherlands. I was tired of London, although you know what they say, tired of London, tired of life. That definitely wasn't the case, but I also wasn't feeling a big lust for life that I felt in other periods of my life. I was just really tired, basically. And I remember I had a talk with my aunt and uncle and they said, Amanda, we know that you will be fine no matter where you go. Quit your job. You will find a new job in no time. And actually, I had already started to apply for the diplomacy career at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But, you know, uh, I was far from I wasn't even in the last round or anything. So it was very uncertain if I would even get that far and if I would get a position. So it definitely was a bit of a risk. But I decided to listen to my aunt and uncle and to trust myself. And I knew, okay, you know what? I'm a hard worker. I'm smart. I'm very resilient. I know I will be okay. And I'm just going to move back home to the Netherlands because after two and a half years in London, I'm ready for a change. And this had a happy ending because I got accepted as a junior diplomat. And a few months later, I started my new career in the Netherlands. 
Now, in hindsight, I think I was already in a burnout or very close to it because I didn't have any energy. I couldn't do anything. Every Sunday, I had the Sunday scaries and I was just crying and crying because I didn't want to go to work the next day. Um, I felt miserable. I felt like an imposter. I felt worthless. I felt very afraid and I just felt very stuck and, and helpless, if I'm honest. And that move to the Netherlands wasn't a magical move. Also in the Netherlands, when I started the diplomacy training, the evening before the first day, I felt the same scaries again. I think it was also on a Sunday, but I felt the same fear coming up. And it took me some time to ease into it, to see, okay, this is a safe environment with super friendly people who really care about my well-being. And I slowly got more energy and learned to relax a bit more. And now that I've had so much coaching for myself and that I'm trained as a coach, I wish I had started earlier with it. Actually, I never really have any regrets in life, so it's not like I regret not doing it. I guess it also wasn't so common at the time. But if I could offer any advice to my younger self, it would be that, to get a coach. I was really struggling with big things by myself. And it would have been so nice to have an outsider, an objective outsider, who could really guide me through that mini burnout or whatever I was going through, and to also understand where it was all coming from. Because the fact that I felt worthless, and that I felt like an imposter, and that I felt not smart enough, and that I was so sensitive to this toxic environment was definitely coming from somewhere, and to be precise, from my childhood. If you want to know a few more details about that, you should listen to the previous episode where I share more about my childhood. But growing up in a not very safe and warm and stable environment definitely was the source for everything that I was feeling and thinking as an adult. And the coach could have helped me to understand those patterns, to have some empathy for where they were coming from, and to also help me make changes in the moment. But this isn't the only story or the only situation that I wish I had a coach because there is more and because life continues even when you live abroad with all the lows that exist in life. So let me take you back to another moment and this was around May 2018. I was living in Brasilia. I had been there for a little under a year and loving my life so far. It was my first time as a diplomat going abroad and I really loved living in Brasilia. The job was okay at the time. It became more interesting later on. But I was meeting nice people. I was enjoying my house. I was enjoying the travel. So it was good. And then out of nowhere, something terrible happened. And I don't want to share too many details about it simply because it's not my story to tell. Um, but a heartbreaking thing happened. And that was that the wife of a colleague died very unexpectedly. And both my colleague and her wife were friends of mine. We weren't incredibly close, but we regularly hung out on the weekends. They were my age. And out of the blue, her wife died. And I was in the hospital when it happened, um, supporting my colleague and my friend. And this was, I would say, somewhat traumatic. I can still feel everything that I felt back then, the shock. The, I still see very clearly some details of that hospital, how cold it was, how little information we got, the way that they spoke to us to, to share the news and everything that happened afterwards. 
And I was actually so much in shock that I was driving back home and um, I hit something accidentally. I hit like a sidewalk or something in the road because it was really dark. And then I just got so panicked and my phone fell out of the holder and it started calling the emergency line. And I remember just telling me, it's going to be okay. Just breathe, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. And I was shaking in my car, driving to another colleague where we would all meet. And yeah, I was really actually in shock after everything that had happened. This evening, these developments, everything that I witnessed there had a huge impact on me. This was actually the first time that I really dealt with death. I have dealt with a lot in my life, but death was actually pretty unfamiliar to me. Both my grandpas had died when I was young and my grandma had died a few months prior to that. Um, but those were all like natural things to happen in life. Older people die. This was the first time that a younger person who was so vital and so healthy and so nice and so loving died. And it was also really tough to process what I was a witness of. And actually the next day I had to travel for work. We had a big uh, meeting with a lot of colleagues in Brazil. And I obviously couldn't go there the next day because I was too shaken up. But I went there the day after because I also had to be there. I had a presentation to give. And it was actually really nice to do that because I was able to tell my story over and over again to about 20 people. And that's really good for processing to just share your story, to talk about it. Then a few weeks passed and things got better and I was more okay with it. I still thought about it a lot. I was still feeling a lot of things but every day got a little bit better. But it also took a toll on my relationship because I wasn't in my best shape. So in hindsight, I think I was processing a lot more that I wasn't aware of. I thought I was doing better, but actually I was down a lot and I was also very negative. So I totally took that out on my boyfriend at the time. And so I wasn't bringing forth the best energy and that set a few other things in motion. So it wasn't the best period of my life. And I was also training for a marathon. I got injured and there were a lot of things going on at my job. So all in all, actually, there was a lot of stress in my body. And yeah, I was dealing with a lot and processing a lot still. I also wasn't sleeping well. And looking back, I really wished I had someone to talk to because it was really difficult to share everything that was going on with my inner circle back home. They were supportive. They called me. They empathized with me, but they didn't know my friend. They didn't know anything, let's say, about the healthcare system in Brazil and how difficult it was to get information back then and how different the funeral was. So there were a lot of like cultural differences that I had to explain because they couldn't really imagine what it was like. And they also couldn't really feel my pain because they didn't know her. Thankfully, I had some good friends in Brazil who also knew her, so we got to share that together. That was really nice. But in hindsight, what I was doing was something that I knew very well, and that was I was going through it alone. Now, I am super independent, having grown up in that not very stable environment that I spoke about. Uh, I learned to rely on myself, and I learned also to push away my feelings and to just stay forward-looking and go to the next thing, soldier on, basically. And knowing what I know now, I was definitely doing that. I was just soldiering on and I was going through it alone. And I did share my pain, like I talked about it, but I wasn't really sharing my feelings that much. And it made me 
and and I know I was doing it myself, but it made me feel very lonely as well. Like at night, often I couldn't sleep. And also my boyfriend at the time wasn't with me in Brazil. He lived in the Netherlands. So that complicated things a lot. And so I felt very alone and I was just soldiering on and just focusing on work and on the future. But gosh, how good would it have been to talk to somebody about everything that had happened? So these were two personal stories, a little bit longer than I had planned, about what I went through sometimes as an expat and how I wished I had a coach at that time. Now, let me tell you why I believe that every expat should get a coach at some point. And that is because in expat life, two things can happen. I mean, this is how I see it. Either you have so much distraction and there's so much going on around you that you don't need to feel, you don't need to process that much, you just stay distracted, you respond to everything. Or things happen that really shake you, that bring you off course, like I had with the death of a friend, but also feeling really burned out in London, that a lot gets set in motion a lot is moving around you and that throws you back to what you already know and those are your own coping mechanisms. So much is set in motion, so much is moving around you that you kind of need to respond to it in the best way that you know. And often you're on your own for that. And now I would like to look at both situations a little bit more in detail. Because what happens if you don't really do like an inner deep dive or you get a coach or a psychologist to assess your patterns and your behavior, what will happen then? In the first situation that you are being distracted all the time and just saying yes to everything and you don't really need to feel, you just think and do, is that it can feel like a train that you boarded at some point in your life that is on such high speed and you're enjoying the ride, but at some point you start to wonder, where actually am I going to? Now, I've seen that with several of my coaches, and actually it's something I know of my own life as well. They love adventure. They're also very ambitious. They have a huge sense of responsibility. So whenever they get a good opportunity in their job or someone requires their help or there's a promotion or something else, they just say yes to it because that's what they know and they're attracted by what they could do in that opportunity or they want to help out because they have this huge responsibility. And this is especially the case, I would say, if you're single. I've seen it with one of my coaches. Um, she just always felt like, yeah, why not? I get to do that. It's good for my career. I would love to experience living in this country or that city. So let's do it. And it's only after a while, usually what I've seen in their early or mid-30s, is that they realize, okay, I have said yes so often and I've done so many things and now I'm here. But where else is this train going to? And I feel like a passenger, not the driver. I don't really have control over its destination. And you basically want to prevent that. You don't want to end up in a destination that is so far off from where you actually had wanted to be. You want to be in time to stop that train and to get back in the driver's seat. And this is what a coach can help you with. Because if there's one thing that I know about my high achieving expats is that their head is always on they love analyzing things. They love getting things done, booking results, but they don't always take the time to really zoom out and to also take into account their feelings and their desires. And you need to do that if you want to arrive at the right destination with that train. You need to have an holistic approach that takes in more than just your analysis loving brain or your rational approach. 
And you also need time to slow down a little bit because you're always on high speed, saying yes to everything in your expat life. And by the way, this isn't just about job opportunities or big decisions, but if you are that yes-saying expat, you probably also have a very busy life abroad. It is filled with appointments, meetings, mostly work, I guess, but then also seeing friends, people coming over, you traveling around, you also have to do exercise. Uh, you know, you should meditate a little bit more. You want to read books. You want to be a good daughter or son. The list is very long and your expert life is probably very busy. So you need that time and that space to zoom out and to really take into account everything that's going on and everything that you want to achieve or want to be. And this is where a coach is very helpful. The second situation of when big things are happening to you that take you off course, that knock you out or that just get you off balance is also very common. And what happens in those situations is that you fall back on everything that you already know, the way that you respond to life, basically, your patterns, your behaviors, your thoughts. You've practiced these things your entire life. So this is what you fall back on. And it's a very natural thing. But sometimes those patterns or that behavior or those thoughts aren't serving you anymore or they aren't working in that particular situation. So to bring it back to my example, to make it a little bit more concrete, when I was going through that grief process and processing the trauma, let's just call it that, that I had experienced, I was going through it alone because I did everything alone in life. It wasn't in my nature to ask for help or to lean on someone else. So I continued going through it alone, soldiering on, forward-looking, not making space for my emotions. Now, in that particular situation, it all worked out in the end. Things got better, but I already told you that it had an effect on my relationship, for example. I also physically got injured. This was definitely a result of all the stress. So you see how your coping mechanism or your style of processing things or your behavior, your thoughts... Your patterns can serve you only so much and then they start blocking you or hindering you. But I wasn't really aware of any of this at the time. I see it very clearly now, but I didn't realize it back then. And a coach could have helped me to, again, zoom out and to mirror me and to really show me, hey, you're doing this and that, but is that really helpful? Or are there other ways how you could be and do something that serves you more? And actually, this is something that I do often in my coaching. I mirror my coaches and together through the exercises that I have and the deep dives that we do in the sessions, my coaches really start to feel, okay, this is a, apparently a pattern that I have and it's coming from this when I was younger or it's coming from my dad who used to say that or it's coming from a traumatic experience I had or it's coming from, let's say, an accident I had when I was 15, something impactful that really made me feel afraid of, blah, blah, blah. In my coaching, actually, we don't talk all the time because my high-achieving expats, they know how to talk, they know how to analyze things, and that's not bringing them any further. So I always do exercises with them to really go beyond the cognitive because this is really where their hidden answers are. So coaching can be a fantastic tool if something knocked you out and you don't really know how to get back on your feet again or you're trying to do your best but it's just not working out greatly for you a therapist can also help with that um, coaching is a bit more practical and future oriented 
but therapy is also really good as long as you find some help i would say but obviously i'm a big fan of coaching so these are two situations that i often see and that i both experience myself but it doesn't always have to be bad you don't always need like a bad driver to go to a coach because personally i also believe that expert life is a beautiful opportunity to really assess your life and you as a person because you are at distance you are far away from your loved ones you are far away from your daily routines from everything that you know so well things you did on the automatic pilot and you are now in a new context with new stimulants with new things to respond to with new noises with new ways of being with a new language and this is also why I love traveling because everything around you is new and this is always when I start to feel alive again and when I'm most sensitive and most receptive for signals and what makes me respond to things in a certain way. And if you are in that new environment, especially if you are single, you have to rely on yourself. It is up to you. And this is a fantastic opportunity to look at yourself with curiosity and maybe even with amazement. What makes that you do X or that you feel Y? or that you have Z. And what you're doing again is zooming out and looking at yourself with curious eyes from a neutral perspective, a neutral position to really see, hey, what made you behave this way? What makes you say those things? What are you responding to? Where is this coming from? And this is also what I really do in my coaching. We go deep and it's focused on the person, not on expat life. We're not focusing on the context. I'm not an expat coach. I'm a life coach for expats. So while we sometimes talk about some of the practicalities of expat life, my work is really on you, on the person. And my approach is this, inside out. First, we go inside, inwards for a deep dive to really understand why you are the person that you are, what made you that way, to have empathy for everything that happened to you, and to then from there go outside and make the changes that you wish for with a strong foundation in the outer world. This is something I've done myself as well. If you're interested to hear about my story, you can go back to the previous episode. This is really where I shared my own forced deep dive a couple of years ago where I had no choice but to go through all of my emotions, both from the present and the past, but to really resurrect again, I came out of the ashes. I rose like a phoenix. This is really how it felt to me. And knew me like a better, improved version of me. And with better and improved, I don't mean like the more masculine approach, like with your goals or that you have to be someone else. But I was just becoming a more authentic me. With an incredible strong foundation, which really laid down the path for me to make changes in my life. Like quitting my job and starting my own business and now moving to Brazil. And because I know myself so well, I know what triggers me, I know what drives me, I know what gives me energy, what I need to feel good, both physically and mentally and emotionally. I know my own traps, I know my own limiting beliefs, the negative thought loops that I sometimes still find myself in. Because I know all of that, I can also really shape my life, whether it's back home in the Netherlands or in a new country here in Rio, for example. It really feels like I know what I bring to the table. This is me and there's no hiding anymore. There's no pretending. 
there's no fear. This is just who I am. And that's really what coaching gave me. And to give you a few examples, a very simple one is, for example, I know I am an ambivert. That's someone who's in between introvert and extrovert. And I'm slightly more introvert than extrovert. And that means I need time alone at home to recharge or in nature, I guess, but at least time alone. Extroverts charge their battery by being with people. I certainly don't, although I do need a balance in my life. But if I'm tired, I just need to be by myself. And often what happens when you're new in a country, you just say yes to everything and everyone because you know, oh my God, I need to have a social life because I can't just be by myself every day. So a natural tendency is to then say yes to every invitation that you get. Both born out of excitement, but also maybe a tiny bit of fear because you just know that you have to do it. But if you're an introvert, this can be energy draining. And that's not what you want when you are just starting out somewhere. So knowing that, I also say yes to invitations, but I only say yes to one a day. And at most until like 9 p.m. Because then at least I have one hour or so by myself at home to really wind down. And this is really what I consciously do to protect my energy. And I've only been able to do that because I know myself and I know how I tick. But this is a, a simple example. You don't need a coach for this. But another thing which has really served me as a coach, as an entrepreneur, as an expat, is that when, let's say, someone makes a comment that, that really triggers me, it makes me feel like I've done something wrong, let's say, I can now be okay with it. Before, I would get really triggered by it and I would start to wonder, did I do something wrong? Or does he or she not want to be friends with me? Do they think I'm weird? I would really take it personally. And with consequent feelings around it, a lot of fear, actually. Or the same when there was some sort of disagreement between me and someone else. You know, I'm really sensitive to that energy. I can often sense it when someone is just like, has an opinion about me or isn't really happy with me or what, with what I do. I would always take it on me. I would always take it personally or almost always. Nowadays, I know it used to hit me harder because I have certain triggers and I have certain sensitivities and I know where they're coming from. So now when someone makes a comment or there's, I sense this disagreement, I just feel like it's okay. They are entitled to their opinion and that's it. It doesn't need to affect me. Most of the time, actually, it doesn't even have to do with me. Comments are also really a good way to see with what filter other people are looking at the world. And I can just let that be with the other person. Now, of course, when I make a mistake, you know, I do whatever I can to, to fix it and to prevent it from happening again. But it doesn't come as this big hit anymore. It is just like, oh, oops, I did that wrong. Or oops, that person has an opinion or made a comment. And it's okay. And this is really a result of all the deep inner work that I've done. That I really know myself and what makes me tick. And what makes me trigger. And what makes me respond to a trigger. Uh, and just to give you one more concrete example. Sometimes I hear comments from people about me, sometimes right in my face, sometimes I hear it through someone else. I mean, this doesn't happen regularly at all, but I mean, we all have this. What really triggers me is always that people assume things. And I'm like, dude, go inform yourself or ask me what is really the situation. Don't just assume certain things based on your view of the world or based on your experience. This ignorance really, really bugs me and triggers me. 
And I know also this is partly because one of my core values is autonomy and I want to be free in making my own choices. And I truly hate it when some people are a bit ignorant and then lay their standards on me and expect me to comply with their standards. Oh, it annoys the fuck out of me. Sorry for my words. And that's just because I know autonomy is so important. And if you touch my autonomy, oh, I, we're done. <laughs> well, I'm not that harsh, but uh, I once dated a guy who said like, oh, I wonder if um, having a relationship is your priority. And because I was so ambitious and wanting to have all these international things, and I really felt, wow, yeah, if your definition of a relationship is being in the same place and starting a family ASAP, then yeah, you can question me. But that's not the only definition, is it? So don't tell me that it's not my priority if you're not open to my definition of a relationship. Okay, I can feel myself being fired up again. <laughs> That's not where I want to go with this podcast. But you see where, how autonomy is so important to me. And you have your sensitivities as well. You have your core values. And if they're being threatened, things happen. You respond to triggers. You respond to people. So you really want to get to know yourself on that deeper level. So you can zoom out in the moment and be like, okay, you know, you're saying this. And it makes me want to respond and to fight. But actually, you have your own filters and your own patterns and triggers. And I have my own. And they just clash. But it doesn't have to say anything about me or about you uh, or about us together. It is just conflicting different views. So you can really zoom out and understand that about yourself. Which takes off the pressure and the sharp edges. So just to summarize this very quickly, I really think it's a good idea for expats to have a coach. Because either they are so yesing and distracted that they don't really know, feel what's going on and where they're going. Or because something big is going on, whether it's death or a burnout or just stress at work or a demotion or a divorce or maybe even something smaller that just knocks you out. It is good to really reassess how you respond to it and what you can tweak to do something that serves you better. And when those two things aren't present yet, so in the stage before, perhaps, when expert life is just nice, it is still very good to engage with a coach because being abroad is this fantastic opportunity to reassess yourself and to really see yourself in a different light and to make some changes here and there so you can really become that authentic you that is living a life that you are truly happy in. And if you want some guidance on that, I would love to help you. I coach high-achieving expats who have relied a lot on their brain, their rational approach, overthinking, analyzing things, but also getting things done, booking in results. I coach them on discovering themselves on a deeper level to also take in their emotions, their desires, the things that they secretly dream of, their fears. We look at everything, also the things that are holding you back. And I do that not just with talking, although you might think differently <laughs> with the length of this episode, but really with exercises that help you feel things. My coaches know exactly what I'm talking about because sometimes we can talk for half an hour and we stay in loops and then we do one exercise and after four minutes, there are tears, there's anger, emotions are coming up. Boom, we're right where we need to be. And I would love to guide you to that place as well. And if you're interested in my coaching and want to hear more, I offer free discovery calls. 
And in that free 45 minute call, I really make space for your story, your situation, whatever you want to address. And you'll find a neutral listening ear without any interest, which is so nice because you can share your story with your inner circle back home. But you know that your mom wants you to come back and your friend thinks the job isn't right for you, etc. I don't have any of that. I'm just there for your personal growth and I don't judge at all. I will also ask you a bunch of questions for you to go a bit deeper and to have new insights already. And I will share my practical tips if I see any, because actually as a coach, I don't give practical tips, but I want you to be able to make some small changes already after the call. So this is what I do in a call as well. And at the end, I share more about how I work with some examples of my methods and the results that my coaches got. You can book that call anytime you like. I will put the link in the show notes and you can see my calendar and you just book it in. There are two questions for you to answer about the reason why you booked that call and how you got to know me. And that's it. Then it's already done. There's no back and forth emailing, no first contact from you explaining why you want that call. You can just book it in. And it's all for free, which is really nice. Plus no strings attached. And good to know for the first half of 2024, I'm coaching online. So I now live in Rio, but if you are elsewhere, we can still do coaching together. Okay, that's it. I hope to see you at some point in a discovery call. I would love to talk to you. And as always, if you have any questions or want to share something after this episode, please feel free to reach out via DM on Instagram or LinkedIn. Bye-bye.